0: Monday, December 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today, Jason Moser. Hello, sir. Well, hello to you. How are you? I'm good. I, yeah. I, I know it's just been, you know, a week or so, but it seems longer because of uh, the Christmas holiday. So <laughs> it really does. Everything just slows
1: down to like a glacial pace this time of year. And it, it, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like. Man, do I even have a job? And I'm trying to remember exactly what I do, and then I got to catch up on these companies, and it's like, well, you know, everybody's kind of just taking it easy at the end of the year. Nobody's clamoring for investment advice at this point, I guess. So we got a we got a week or two until we got to kick it back in Iger, I suppose.
0: Well, one of the things that has slowed down is the pace of business news. Uh, so we yeah. don't have a ton of news to get into. So I, we're going to talk financials, and I, I'm going to go broad in a minute, but first I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, this story involving Square, which are reports that Jack Dorsey is interested in buying Tidal, which is a mu- music streaming service I had never heard of before today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: look, Jack Dorsey has said in the past he's interested in building on the Square platform to offer other services. Music streaming doesn't strike me as an obvious natural fit, but what was your reaction when you saw this story?
1: Um, I, I mean, my initial reaction was probably right on right on par with yours there, and it doesn't seem like the doesn't seem like the first place I would go um, if I were looking to build out this this Square commerce ecosystem. I mean I, I appreciate what he's saying and what he's thinking about uh wanting to do longer term with with the business and with with the platform with, with what Square offers. And I think a lot of this kind of centers around the Cash App maybe, but um yeah, I mean it title is is I've I've heard of it before. Um never subscribed to it. It just is a music streaming service and they it was built on on the idea that high fidelity sound and and artists owning the music would would perhaps be a differentiator and maybe a time ago that was at least the high fidelity but it's not anymore i mean you're seeing companies from Amazon and Spotify to Apple, are all investing in, in that same level of level of delivery there. So, you know, I mean, I don't know there's anything with Tidal that makes me think, oh, wow, that's some big differentiator that makes me want to, you know, consider dropping my Spotify subscription, because they don't have even anywhere close to the catalog that Spotify has, um, or, or Apple, for that matter. And and when you look at the actual business, I mean, they, they don't have anywhere near, The subscribers. I mean, I think the number around 2016, tidal reported uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of three million subscribers, which is just a a fraction, just a a just a fraction of of what you'd find on Spotify and Apple. And really, that is one of the biggest advantages with with that line of work in music streaming is the size of your customer base. Uh, But I mean, the economics of music streaming are still very difficult. So to me. You know, this This reminded me a lot of, I mean, a little while back, if you recall Twitter uh, in, in this matters, because Jack Dorsey is also the CEO of Twitter, I know and I understand it two very different businesses, but regardless, the same leader. Um, Twitter invested in SoundCloud and they were actually kicking around acquiring SoundCloud at one point, and they decided not to do that. Instead, through their Twitter ventures, uh, they made I think it was a seventy million dollar investment in SoundCloud, which just quickly evaporated to zero. They they pretty much they just wrote the whole thing off because it was just a I mean just nothing you could really do with that. And um, in regard to Square, I mean you remember they had the caviar side of the business a little while back in food delivery. They decided to go ahead and sell that to DoorDash in order to focus more on investing in its core payments business. And at the time, that made a lot of sense, and that actually is a pretty good investment for Square, given that they bought Caviar for just under $50 million and sold it to DoorDash for, I think, just a little over $400 million. So so that worked out, and I agreed, selling Caviar just made sense, it wasn't something that really lined up with the rest of Square's business uh, at the time, and there were clearly companies out there that were doing it better. This kind of seems the same thing to me. It just doesn't really line up with Square's business. There are companies out there that are doing it way better. Diversification is a thing. You got to be really careful.
0: It's going to be interesting to see if they proceed with this because there's a price at which it's worth the risk. Yeah. I mean, Square is a $100 billion (coughs) company, they have access to all kinds of capital. I don't have a particular price in mind, but there is, you know, probably less than five hundred million it would right. probably be a good place to start. I mean, it, there's there's a price at which uh, Dorsey overpays and it spooks investors, and there's a price at which it's like, you know, what this is a reasonable amount of money, and and if it pays off, great, and if not, well, we write it down.
1: Yeah, yeah, I. I, I... The biggest risk here is it's not a financial one, I don't think. I mean, to me, I, I, I would imagine this has to be far, far under $500 million. I think, if I recall correctly, Jay-Z bought title at some point for 56 million dollars and that five was, years that ago was, yeah. yeah so I mean it, 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 it would, you'd be very hard-pressed to argue that they've been witnessing some just exponential growth that would just pump that valuation up to just new heights today given even even with everything we've seen in the market where it seems like the more the more money a company loses the higher the market wants to bid up its stock price um, I don't know that would necessarily be the same case with title here so I'd imagine the the biggest risk is not a financial one it's squares Got the balance sheet, pretty much do whatever they want. Um, they can certainly afford it. To me, it's really more about taking your eye off the ball and making bad investments. Um, it seems to me the most, the argument I see folks using to justify this if it actually does happen is that this could be an acquisition tool on a brand building vehicle for the cash app and i mean they're doing all sorts of things with the cash app now I mean, but they are more finance related i mean whether it's transferring money or trading uh, stocks or or buying bitcoin uh, music streaming doesn't really line up with those I mean, I guess owning it could expand your market and give you a brand-building tool, but do you really need to acquire it to do that? I, I'm, I'm, I am i i do not think so. It, it doesn't seem like it probably is the wisest use of capital and time. Uh, but with that said, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's something that if if they if they decided to go through with this and it didn't work out, I mean, it sure it it, it, it would be. We would forget about it pretty much as quickly as we forgot about SoundCloud and Twitter. I mean, that was just kind of one of those things that ultimately didn't really affect the business; didn't matter. Um, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there is there is there are examples of, of this type of of business out there before, not really uh, getting off the ground. I mean, I don't know if you remember a little while back, Neil Young had that Pono concept, which was like a music streamer slash. Music streaming service and it was all based on high fidelity music as well. But he he, like that that actually there was a device involved as well, which it's kind of like Microsoft Zune. I mean, good luck with that, right? (laughs) And and I mean, clearly that didn't work out. So I mean, there there is precedent out there that 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 says this is a difficult uh, step to take. Is is it a reasonable bet? I mean, yeah, I think you're right. The price really is is probably what dictates whether it's a risk worth taking or not. But I think really for me, it's more about just is this really the wisest use of capital in time? And I'm not so certain that it is. But again, that's no, no certainty that this deal will even happen in
0: the first place. I have no memory of that Neil Young device.
1: Well, you're not the only one.
0: <laughs> so, later in the week, we're going to record our 2021 preview for Motley Fool Money. I don't know if we're going to get into this topic on the show, but since you host the financials episode of Industry Focus, let's well, let's get your thoughts on the financial industry. I mean, Looking back on 2020, financials—it was kind of a mixed bag in terms of how the stocks did across the industry. So, first and foremost, how optimistic are you about the financials industry in 2021?
1: Yeah, it it yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see how this industry is evolving, and so I think. I mean, on the whole, I, I'm I'm optimistic. I'm glass half full that the financials industry writ large is in a good position to recover. Um, but it's it's not to say that the entire financials industry really had a tough 2020, right? It, it sort of breaks down into what type of financials you're talking about. And so, if you if you look at something like the S and P 500 financials index, uh, and, and that comprises mostly. Uh, banks and insurance companies. I mean that that index is still down about six percent for the year, and it's trailing most most other sectors. Um, but interestingly, that doesn't include companies like Square and PayPal, and Mastercard, Visa, those payments companies that we know. And, you know, not to mention all of these other fintech companies that have come online here recently. And so, to me. I, I I see a year coming up where I think both fintech and I think financials uh, are, are gonna are gonna do okay. I think it, the the banking sector to me is gonna be one that's really interesting. And we talked about this before in regard to J.P. Morgan and some of the things that Jamie Dimon had been saying uh, recently in regard to how their business is shaking out, how he sees 2021 shaking out. It's gonna be possibly sort of a uh, a tough first half of the year with some some tailwinds picking up for the second half of the year. And I think a lot of this really just hinges on vaccines and interest rates, to be honest with you. Um, we have the news, obviously, that vaccines are, are out there now and, and, and being administered. And hopefully, that continues to accelerate and people continue to do that. And, and we can kind of get past this stuff sooner rather than later. Um, if that's the case, I mean, we've seen now where banks are going to be able to start buying back shares again. And J. P. Morgan, among others, is, is making a big commitment to go in there and buy back a ton of stock. And in, in tandem with that, you're going to see a lot of reserves start being released as well. So, if we can see vaccinations, economic activity picking back up, the potential for interest rates to start pushing back up a little bit, all of this leads to Perhaps a little bit more on the borrowing side as well. Consumers are, are able to borrow a little bit and in I mean that obviously is is banks bread and butter for the most part. I mean, you could see an environment where uh banks proper would be set up for a pretty good twenty twenty one. And and I think that you couple that with fintech. To me, I mean fintech is gonna be a part of the the economy that's just going to continue to do well. I mean, I don't think every company out there is going to do well, but I think I think that a lot of them are going to do well. And in one of the things I looked at here for 2020, uh, because we talk about the war on cash basket on the show a lot, and and it's been a little while since since we introduced that. But in looking at how that war on cash basket performed in 2020, remember that's Mastercard, Visa, PayPal, and Square. Very, very interesting to see the discrepancy, the disparity there between the two with Mastercard and Visa. Actually, I mean they were up for the year. They underperformed the market though, uh, just 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 by a touch. Whereas PayPal and Square, I mean PayPal up 122 uh, percent to to date. Square up 267% to date, outperforming the market handily. And so you've seen on the fintech side, the payment side, there's been a little bit more, a little bit more growth there versus the underperformance of the banks and the insurance side. But I do think that if we if we see the economy turning back around, I mean that that could really that could really be there's going to be some nice tailwinds for for both parts of the financials industry, and and I, I would be very encouraged.
0: It's interesting, though, because if you think about the economy opening up, particularly small businesses, so many uh, of which have been hit really hard this past year, they're going to be, uh, in a lot of cases, looking for loans to get going again. Um, you mentioned the interest rates. That's, I mean, that's. That's kind of a double-edged sword for the banks, right? Yeah. Because on the one hand, if interest rates are low, then presumably they're going to get more small business, uh, you know, coming in the door and looking for loans. Um, although, you know, if you hook Jamie Dimon up to a lie detector test and say, <laughs> "Well, you know, what do you want? More interest rates to go up, or them to, to stay like like?" I don't know which one he chooses because um, if if Part of the bull case for investing in the big banks is interest rates can go up. It's like I don't know that that's going to happen in the you know certainly in the first half of twenty twenty one. No, I I agree with you. I don't
1: think they will either. I think that it's it's really it's about a progression here, and and I think that as we see this so society we we saw this this covid relief bill that just just was signed and and hopefully that is going to make more uh paycheck protection program funds available for these small businesses to borrow and and ultimately for the banks those those loans aren't really profit drivers at all i mean th- that's just a way really for them to serve um as as, as a a way to help get the ball rolling again and, and help get these businesses back up and running, and give them access to capital. Um, what I think ultimately is what we're looking for is, is to see these businesses have that access to capital, get back up and running. And as these businesses get back up and running, then the after-effects of that in in consumers coming back to shop, employees keeping their jobs and making making a paycheck and, and being able to spend that money, being able to pump that money through the economy. And I, I think that is probably where you would see that second half of the year, that impact become a little bit more apparent, uh, particularly if then. Consumers can can get back to borrowing a little bit, and and at that point, you see that demand start pushing back up. Perhaps you can see interest rates start pushing back up, in a, in a healthier economy, that would be, I think, a little bit further down the line. So so it is it is kind of a starting point for a lot of these a lot of these banks. But I mean, I think again, you also have to couple it with the fact that you're going to see. You're going to see a significant amount of share repurchases here in, in the coming year. I mean, unless something drastic changes, and and along with that, you're going to see reserves released, which is uh, uh, those two those two in tandem are re- I think really going to help these banks' bottom line. And th- that could serve as a catalyst. And if if we see signs of a sustainable recovery, well, then that, that just that just bodes well for the banks even even further down the line.
0: Jason Moser, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Fuller, the show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill, thanks for listening, we'll see you tomorrow.